We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Our next guest is going to be on the Westwood One call Sunday night for the Ravens-Bengals game. Oh, by the way, a game you can hear here, and you can hear all the playoffs right here on 92.3 The Fan. He is a longtime NFL player, longtime uh, NFL media analyst, and and sports talk host. The great Mike Golick now joins us on the North Olmstead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline. Mike, welcome, bud. Hi, well, I'm glad to be here. Even though I'm a long time, everything. God, that makes me sound old. Holy smokes! I know. So I, I used to get in trouble for doing that because I mean it as a a badge of honor. And I once I actually did this to my grandma once. I was trying to give her credit, and I was like, Grandma. You're not experienced. You're just haggard. And I didn't realize what the word haggard meant, and uh, she didn't talk to me for three years. But it's okay. You, we, call, you called your grandmother haggard? Yeah, I, th- I thought it was like withered, or like, which, by the way, wouldn't have been much better. I thought it was like not, a— Not great options here, I, Nick. I was 10, but believe me, I never mixed up those two words ever again in my life. Oh, I would imagine that was quite a learning lesson for you. Yeah, and uh, and, and I survived, and I think that's the number one thing here. Mike, I gotta ask you. We we got a couple Browns questions before sure. uh, we get to to the playoffs and the Ravens Bengals this weekend. I am I am curious. What do you make of the Browns after this seven and ten season, eleven games with Jacoby Brissett, and five with Deshaun Watson and firing defensive coordinators and all that? Yeah, well, I, I think it was. I would say pretty much a disappointment, uh, without a doubt. I thought I was always wondering where you know a Jacoby Brissett led team would be by the time Deshaun Watson got there. I thought it would be a little closer to 500. And then let's be honest, you know, I mean, I, even though Deshaun Watson had a place as one of the top quarterbacks when he was at his best, that just goes to show you time off and rust is a real thing because he was not looking very, I mean, it showed a little bit of signs of improvement, but for the most part, wasn't very good at all. So, I mean, there's going to be a lot of, a little bit, uh, you know, trepidation going into next year, thinking you'd have some good building blocks going into next year. I thought the defense on paper was stacked, but it was, you know, some good, some bad against the pass. Certainly it was good, not as good against the run. Miles Garrett did his thing, obviously. Um, but but I, I thought the defense would sustain uh, or be a little more consistently near the top. I thought they could lean on that and the run game a little more. And certainly Nick Chubb did his thing. But um, a, a more disappointing than I thought it would be. And like I said, um, you know, you got a lot, a lot invested in Deshaun Watson. So uh, I think what everybody kind of saw, they're going, boy, I, I hope he kicked the rust off and is ready to go next year. Yeah, you're right, Mike. I mean, he looked really rusty in those six games. And, yep. and, and I'm just wondering, like, I've asked a lot of analysts that we've had on this show, you know, do you think this guy can get back to what he was in 2020? I mean, two years off is a long time. We've seen it happen before with other players. Michael Vick comes to mind as well. But I mean, what we saw in those six games, I mean, he gets sacked seven times against the Steelers. I mean, he, he looks like he's seeing ghosts out there. Yeah, I mean, and not not good. At, I mean, Jacoby Brissett plays, you know, what, what how, how many games? And he sacked 11. 24 times. Yeah, yeah. He sacked 24 times, and Deshaun Watson is, plays six. He sacked 20 times. Right. I mean, you know, just not, not getting rid of the ball. Uh, I, listen, 
I think he can. I, I think it's unfair first to say six games after being off for what felt like a decade that we would expect the, the old Deshaun Watson. But I thought, I thought the evolution in those games would be a little bit better. So while I think he can, I was a little surprised where it was. I mean, I, I think you, obviously you have the running game, right? You know, Amari Cooper, you know, leads the way receiving-wise for you. Um, so it's just a matter of weapons around you, or Joku trying to trying to you know break through as to being one of the top tight ends uh, as well. So you got you got to put what you have around him as well and throw that into the equation. But I, I think he can get there. But I, I guess I'm less optimistic after the six games I saw, even though I don't think it's fully fair to judge just on those six games. Mike, one of the big stories out of the locker room at the end of the season is that Kevin Stefanski was told by players or asked by players to hold them more accountable. And even though he, he did uh, some of that, the, the players didn't feel like he, he did across the board. So when you hear a guy three years in that might not have the, the whether it's discipline or leadership touch, is that something that a coach can grow out of or grow into more of a leader? Yeah, you can. Uh, listen, he was a young head coach, young first-time head coach. So uh, I think a lot of times, or sometimes, guys like that will kind of let the players hold each other accountable, right? They'll say, okay, these are professional football players. You're, you're a lot of, it, of what happens on the field you're responsible for. Certainly we make the game plan and everything. And, and you know, it's this teamwork thing of game plan. You guys be accountable, hold yourselves accountable. And it sounds like the players are saying, okay, you know what, why don't you hold us more accountable as well? You know, from the coaching staff on down, where I, 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 certainly there are coaches like this. Older coaches, older school coaches will be more of the kind that will, you know, hold the players accountable. Younger coaches, I think it, it, it can be more of the, hey, we're kind of all in this together. You guys be accountable in that locker room. The locker room is yours. You know, be accountable for things on the field. We'll certainly be there to help. But a little, little more of a, of a you know, working together type thing instead of you know a, a, a parent and a child. I, I don't mean it to sound quite like that, but you know the parent makes the rules, right? <laughs> and you know the the, the kid's got to follow those rules. I don't think it has to be that much of a line, but I think you, I think what the players are saying, hey, you run the show, Kevin. You're the head coach. You know, if, if players are screwing up or players are being irresponsible in some areas, you got to call them out. You know, and I don't mean publicly. I mean, you know, that has to be brought up. It has to be brought to their attention, whether in meetings, whether behind closed doors, whatever. But, you know, you're going to have to make us more accountable for what's going on. I, I think you see that more in younger coaches at times. Mike, looking to the playoffs this weekend, what has to happen in this Bengals-Ravens game, considering it just doesn't look great for Lamar, uh, given everything, all the reports. So what has to happen for this game not to just be a free pass for the Bengals? Yeah, I mean, this is going to be tough. Listen, let's say the same thing about Miami, right? You know, two is not playing. Looks like And looks like they're going to have their third stringer uh, in there, Thompson, as well. So I, I don't I, – I, I really don't know where, where either one is going to go with this. I, I, think it's, I think it's a tough ask, quite honestly. Um, as far as the – the Baltimore Ravens, listen, they, they have a great running game, but their running stats are based a lot on, um, they're based a lot on, on Lamar when he was playing. So they don't have Lamar now, so obviously that, that makes it a little tougher. Uh, they can't run as well. 
Huntley hasn't thrown as well, and if Huntley's got tendonitis in his shoulder, then it's Anthony Brown uh, who was playing, who who I covered, you know, when he was at transferred to Oregon from BC and played in the uh, in the Fiesta Bowl. So I, there, there's not a lot of hope in the passing game, in my opinion, if Huntley or or what looks like Anthony Brown is going to be the quarterback. So that means you got to lay a lot on your defense because Cincinnati can score. Cincinnati can hit you with big plays. Cincinnati's doing exactly what they did last year, peaking at the right time, going into the playoffs. So this one, the the you can't expect too much out of that offense for Baltimore, the third string third string quarterback. So other parts have to pick it up. Special teams, which certainly John Harbaugh is known for, and their defense really has to slow Cincinnati's offense down. Mike, obviously Joe Burrow is a tremendous quarterback. Uh, my partner and I argue all the time about how good of a coach Zach Taylor is. Um, what do you think about Zach Taylor? you think he's a good coach? I mean, listen, they went to the Super Bowl last year, you know, so he's, he's going to get the benefit of the doubt of things going pretty well. I mean, you know, that, that program has been pretty much horrific for a lot of times. And I think Joe Burrow has been a great leader saying, we don't care about the past. We care about what's going on now. And Zach Taylor's running the show. So, you know, you have to give him the benefit of the doubt for that, that he's got this team turning the right direction. It's, and it's a total team effort of players they've drafted, players they've brought in in free agency, and then players buying in to what your head coach, Zach Taylor, is selling, which all seems to be happening right now. But listen, I mean, when you have a great quarterback, that helps a lot. It helps a lot going in the right direction, but they filled in with a lot of other great spots on that team as well, from pass rushers to wide receivers. So, yeah, I think, I think Zach Taylor is a good coach. It's hard to deny him that when you're seeing the results. Mike, it's so funny. The, the AFC is so loaded with either guys who are already franchise quarterbacks or guys on that trajectory. You know, the Josh Allens, the Lamars, the Mahomes, Burrow, Deshaun Watson could potentially be one of those guys again. And yet this weekend, Chargers-Jaguars faces two guys who absolutely could fight for the crown to be the best quarterback in the NFL. And Justin Herbert and Trevor Lawrence – uh, I just in taking a look at that matchup, where do you feel like uh, where do you feel like the attention deserves to be here between uh, the Chargers and the Jags? Well, the attention needs to be on the uh, the Chargers' run defense, which is not good. Netienne's a good runner for Jacksonville after missing his rookie year. He runs the ball well, and Chargers don't stop the run well. And if you run the ball well, if you can't stop the run in the playoffs, you're in trouble. And if you can run the ball in a game, I mean, that will just set up Trevor Lawrence play action pass and really, really help him. So that's, that's the part of the, of the, the game I'm looking at is the Chargers ability to stop the run. These guys played earlier in the season when the Chargers weren't playing very well, quite honestly. Uh, and, and Jacksonville spanked them, I think like 38 to 10. Uh, and Jacksonville's playing better, but the Chargers are playing better. You know, we'll see if Mike Williams had the back when inexplicably. You know, all the starters played as long as they did last week when they were locked into their playoff position. You got both Bosa and Williams nicked up, and that was that was somewhat stunning. So if they're healthy and they have Keenan Allen and Mike Williams, uh, I think they're a tough team. And Austin Eckler is just obviously out of this world. I, I think he is a, is a fantastic player. So I think the Chargers have gotten a lot better uh, than they were at the beginning of the season. Uh, but, but to me, that Achilles heel has been the uh, the run defense, so that's going to be a big part of the game I'm watching. 
Mike, one of the more fascinating matchups that I'm interested in this weekend, of course, is Seattle and San Francisco. You know, San Francisco is a great team. You know, they're favored by, I think, 10 points in this game. But to me, the story is Geno Smith. I'm like the only person, I think, in the world that thought Geno Smith was going to, at some point, have a resurgence in his career. He's got the receipts, too. I've got the receipts on this, Mike. I do. Um, and he he now is a pro bowler. He has now set the single season record for passing yards for the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, do you give them a chance against the Niners and Brock Purdy? Well, I give you credit for that because you, you were probably one of the only ones. <laughs> Thank you. Because uh, I, I thought they were going to be in rebuilding mode. And kudos to Geno for doing what he's doing. And Walker, you know, the, the rookie running back and, and what he's been able to do. This is going to be a tough one, though. You're going up against the best defense statistically in the league, a hell of a pass rushing team uh, as well. Uh, this, this San Francisco swept Seattle during the regular season. I think this is going to be pretty di- difficult. And Seattle's defense is not very good at all. So, And even though it's Brock Purdy leading the way, Kyle Shanahan has done such a good job of getting Brock to get the ball out you know, to the athletes on the team. Uh, and, and Brock has done – I covered him at Iowa State. And he's always been very smart, knows where he's going with the ball, and he's just continued here in San Francisco. So I think I just think San Francisco is is too stacked on both sides of the ball. One of the more balanced teams in the NFL. I I could think it's going to end up being San Francisco and Philly uh, in the, in the NFC Championship game. Mike, I know we're talking playoffs here, but I, this just popped into my head. Um, Browns fans are impatient three years into Kevin Stefanski because we've gone from 11 wins to to eight wins to seven wins. Meanwhile, Steelers fans are impatient with Mike Tomlin because he doesn't have a playoff win since uh, 2016, and he's only got, I think it's three playoff wins in the last 12 seasons. So I'll ask you, who actually should be more patient? The Steelers, who haven't gotten back to the pinnacle and not won a Super Bowl or a playoff game in over seven years, or the Browns fans who've gone from 11 wins to eight wins to seven wins? Well, I'll tell you who will be more patient. It's Pittsburgh. <laughs> Pittsburgh, we know, has had three coaches since 1969, for those that may not know. Chuck Noll, Bill Cowher, and Mike Tomlin. They're the epitome of the word patience. And Mike Tomlin, is, is every season, has been over 500. Mike Tomlin isn't going anywhere. Um, so they're, they're going to show patience there. But we've seen in a lot of other areas lack of patience. Hell, look at Houston. You know, and the amount of coaches they've been through in the last few years has been ridiculous. That's just unfortunately where we are in sports. Most teams aren't patient enough. And everybody talked about the Browns this year, especially that defense on paper, the running attack that, that Cleveland had. But you, you got the year kind of a hold on it because you know you didn't have Deshaun Watson. Now, Deshaun Watson's going to be expected to come out out of the gate strong because he has been a top-tier quarterback. He did get six games in. He's got the offseason. All that stuff is put behind him now, and it can just be football. So the expectation is going to be, okay, we've got the running game. We've got a receiver. We've got a tight end. We have a defense. We need to make a run. So I think there will be less patience with the Browns. So you talked about continuity there. There have been a lot of people who have preached continuity for the sake of continuity, and you referenced the Steelers. Why? What does continuity do for an organization that isn't used to it like the Browns or you even mentioned the Texans? Well, I mean, you have to understand, anytime you change a head coach, it's not just the head coach. You know, you're changing the head coach, you're changing the assistants, you're changing the personality of the team, you're changing 
the X's and O's of the team. You're ch- chasing the philo- you're changing the philosophy of the team. You're changing how your head coach coaches. Is he an offensive coordinator as well? Do you have a new offensive coordinator? What's the new language? What's the new system on offense and on defense? Now you have a new uh, position coach. How does he coach? You know, what's the differences there of what you were used to? Now, players, again, are somewhat can be somewhat used to that, but it's still a change. And then if you also change front office as well, GM, now coaching GM, how do they get along? What kind of player are you looking for? We're all on the same page with what we're trying to build and how we're trying to build it. It just It's not just a head coach. There's so much more involved with the whole changing of, of a coaching staff and even management because they're going to come in and they're going to get rid of guys who don't fit their scheme who may have felt they were safe on this team and fit another scheme. All of a sudden they don't fit this scheme and, you know, they're on the, the trading block or let go. So there's just a lot of change that you have to get used to. And when you do it constantly and constantly change, it's just tough to, to get any kind of consistency out there. And, and I just think it happens too much. Now, there can be things that go on in the locker room that people don't see where you know where you feel you have to make a change, where there's just too much butting heads, uh, and, and that could be a reason for it as well. But but I, I think I think the plug gets pulled a little too quick in some situations. Mike, it's been a pleasure as always, man. Thanks for your time. Enjoy calling the Bengals Ravens this game on Westwood One. We're going to hear it here in Cleveland, so we appreciate you, buddy. Sounds good, guys. Thanks. And it is interesting to think like. And this is this is less about you and me, and it's more about in that organization how they view. Because like, I don't necessarily believe that Jimmy Haslam didn't at least have a couple of violent thoughts about <laughs> about about what he could do to this Browns organization. That doesn't mean he was ever close to implementing them or acting on them. Right. But he's been proven to to, to be more of a fan than an owner, and. I just it. I think it actually makes the Browns really intriguing. Not necessarily in the way we want them to be, though. Um, explain. Well, it's intriguing in the way of Jimmy Haslam's a wild card. This is the first coach he's given three full seasons to. Okay. And by the way, I I think the first GM he's given three full seasons to. If I'm if I'm correct. Mm-hmm. So, what does that mean for next year? Because when you and I were talking about with Albert, one of the things we got into was. I had asked him the question, do you expect the Browns to start acting like the Rams? And in a way, they already have. They kind of devalued draft picks when they traded, what was it, six or seven for Deshaun Watson? Yeah. But, like, the Rams didn't stop there. They didn't stop at two firsts for Jalen Ramsey, right? They made a bunch of deals for veterans to import veterans, and that led into winning the championship. Actually, you know what? You and I had this conversation the other day. If I could guarantee going all in on 2023 would win you a a Super Bowl. Knowing that Watson would never play again? Knowing that 2024 and beyond would be an absolute bleep show. Kind of like what happened in Los Angeles. Yeah, like Los Angeles is probably going to look at a two or three year rebuild here. No matter whether McVay's back or not. Would you do that deal? Um, yes. Me too. I don't even think it's a question. If you could guarantee me a Super Bowl with the Browns winning next year, I would take whatever mess comes behind it. Even though that probably means, if it's like three years of darkness afterwards, that probably means you're firing Stefanski. Right. I'd take it. I would too. 
I think there's just something, especially for if, the Browns. If you could get yourself a championship, that's the only reason we got Watson, right? Well, and I think there's something that changes your how you're looked at as a organization when you win a Super Bowl, right? The Ravens were a good team before they won the Super Bowl, although they had kind of mucked around with uh, Ted Marchabrota for a while. But winning that Super Bowl put that organization on the map and completely changed their culture. And they've had down years since, but that if you really trace the Ravens winning, it goes all the way back to that first championship. Yeah. And then obviously keeping Ray Lewis around for 16 years or whatever it was. Like those things, uh, Ogden for over a decade, like those things mattered, but that's because those guys won a Super Bowl. Right. I just think there's something quantifiable. And it, I don't know the Rams will get that kiss, by the way. Because the Rams had a bunch of older guys and veterans. Like, if Sean McVay walks away, there's a real chance Aaron Aaron Donald says, either trade me to a contender or I retire. That that's He, he, he contemplated retiring after winning the championship last year. I still I don't think he'll do it this year because he got 38 million reasons to. He's but, got a lot of money. But, like, um, you know, maybe Jalen Ramsey's still young enough, but most of that roster is old enough that maybe that championship culture doesn't stick around. But, like, if Miles Garrett won one next year. Miles mm-hmm. might only be halfway into his NFL career. Like, it's so funny. People talk about, oh, well, I want to waste Miles. And I totally get that, by the way. I'm not saying you're wrong. But, like, Miles could have – he's such a physical freak and yeah. he's such a good football player. Miles could have a 14-year career. And you start to look at some of the younger guys. Wyatt Teller's still pretty young, even though he got banged up. David Njoku's 25. DPJ uh, being a super young guy. Nick Chubb's probably that's probably as far as he'll go is over the next couple of years. Uh Denzel, twenty five. MJ Emerson, J O K. Like that's let's throw this out. Two one six five seven eight double O nine two. Looking at what's going on with the Rams, where it looks like Sean McVay is gonna walk away. That that's not reported that it's officially happening yet, but it, man, it, a lot of things are going on there that it, it seems like Sean McVay knows he's going. He just wants to get away from the emotion of the season. Would you take a Super Bowl, winning a Super Bowl next year in Cleveland, if it meant a catastrophic injury to your quarterback, uh, your head coach leaving the year after, and basically several years of darkness? Would you trade one Super Bowl? For a back end that was really, really rough to sit through. I would, and it wouldn't even be close. Yeah, I agree. Like, if there was the Faustian bargain to be made, I would make it right. <laughs> I, I would sign it, metaphorically. But, yeah, like and not just that. You know who I think it would help the most? Who's that? Jimmy. I don't I, – I really think – Well, if he got a championship, he'd probably change a lot of his ways because he's so I, – I think he's just so desperate Yeah, that he doesn't make rational decisions. Yeah, well, and I think – listen, I think the best benefactor of winning multiple years in a row, back-to-back years, being in the playoffs three, four years, is Jimmy. You know, we had Aditi today talk about how Kevin Stefanski, you got to let him grow and mature on the job, and that's uh, – we we can decide whether three years as a head coach is enough time for somebody to have had to grow and mature. Right. But, like, same can be said about owners. Like, the first couple of years of the Pagulas, they were not real popular in Buffalo. It was never Haslam bad, but there was some turnover there, and, you know, they made some wrong moves. 
And the Pagulas right now are not just beloved in Buffalo, really well thought of because they hired Brandon Bean and he hired Sean McDermott and they've won. They got the quarterback, all those kind of things. I really think if if you could get Jimmy a Super Bowl, I don't know he'll ever be. It's like Dan Gilbert. I don't know Dan because Dan could be aloof. He could be hot and cold. Um, Dan ran through. Dan had his things, right, that that maybe were the downsides of Dan as the owner. But I think once he won that championship, mm-hmm. even though he interfered later, I, but, I do th- <laughs> but I do think organizationally, like Kobe was part of that organization. Like, look at all the people that are still in this organization that won that title. I do think that informs. Like, I don't think the Cavs make that Donovan Mitchell trade right. if you didn't win a championship in 2016. Because you don't – I just don't think – if you haven't been in an organization that's won a championship and everybody sees what it takes and everybody sees the price you have to pay, I don't think you really understand. I don't think you understand the appropriate fear in in desperation. And I don't mean bad desperation. I don't mean stupid desperation. But – no, not desperation. Sense of urgency. A sense of urgency that isn't desperation. That's what it takes to win a championship in sports. And I think once you see that, it doesn't mean you're automatically going to do it, but I do think I do think you spend the next X amount of time chasing that and trying to find something that looks like that. I think it's accurate. I just want a Super Bowl, man. I just so want to see bad. a winner. You know, I I would like just to get back to the playoffs and win. That'd be nice. Like, am I really going to have to sit? Am I going to have to subside myself? Am I going to have to feast on the the Pittsburgh playoff win? (laughs) I hope not. For the next 10 years. I certainly hope not. I just just want it. And I think that's at, like, the core of the frustration. I think you hear it with Browns fans. I think you hear it with Browns media. Is it felt like finally, Right. Like, it got really ugly really quickly despite that Pittsburgh win um, in 2021, and I think that was entirely because they wanted that to be – they wanted the winning to be real. Right. And that, I think, was – I think that – and not necessarily trading Baker, but, like, I do think fans, I think, were a little – had that sense of urgency a little bit more than this front office and this coach. Well, and and listen, now now the fans more than ever – have a extreme sense of urgency. I mean, go back to March when we traded for Watson. It felt like that day. I mean, there was certainly people that didn't like the trade because of you know the off the field stuff. Mm-hmm. But getting the quarterback, it felt like okay, now this is it. This is going to be the 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 way, the path to winning a Super Bowl. And I I just you know after watching these these six games this year, it just seems like that's so far away. Dan on Twitter saying, we've already lived in the dark ages without the ring. 100% I'd give the next decade for a Browns championship. Listen to every MLB game live. The deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is gone. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. And watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field, it's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.